I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking, no nonsense from North America. This is Encounter 602, the mysterious case of the lead masks. In this encounter, we're going to be headed south, at least south of where I am now. It might be north for some of you, depending on where you're listening to this. Compass directions are are pretty relative when you think about it. Anyway, we're going to be looking at uh, a story from South America, Brazil in particular. We've been to this part of the world already. In Encounter 303, Flying Saucer Occupants, we looked at the story of Antonio Vias Boas, the Brazilian farmer who had a disturbingly sensuous encounter back in 1957. South America, and Brazil in particular, has long been home to a number of strange encounters that represent a wide range of sightings and experiences. So, let's head to Brazil. So, the mysterious case of the lead masks. What was this? Well, it's a pretty famous incident in ufology and also in the wider world of people who are interested in unexplained mysteries and unsolved crimes and things like that. Um, My coverage of it, my treatment of it, my understanding of it comes mostly from a series of articles published in Flying Saucer Review in the 60s and 70s. Flying Saucer Review was a very comprehensive journal of UFO sightings, news, and opinion. It was published in London beginning in the 50s, right at the dawn of the Flying Saucer Age, and continued all the way into the 2000s. The November-December 1966 issue of Flying Saucer Review picked up a strange story from the London Evening Standard. After three weeks of investigation, Rio de Janeiro police are still without clues in the strange case of two electronics technicians found dead near Niterói with lead masks over their eyes. After an anonymous telephone call on August 20th, police found two decomposed bodies atop a brush-covered hillside. Both had lead masks over their eyes, and some strange notes were found near them. One note said, Be in the determined spot at 1430. Take the pills with orange juice at 18.30, and when the effects have become noticeable, cover half the face with lead masks. Await the signal. The other notes were covered with numbers, and one of them has been identified by a mathematician as Ohm's equation, representing an energy moved by a resistance. An autopsy failed to reveal the cause of death. The authors of the story in Flying Saucer Review noted that there had been a UFO reported in the area where the bodies were found, but that at the moment, the reports were all in Portuguese and needed to be translated. This translation was finished up in time for the March-slash-April 67 issue of Flying Saucer Review. And the UFO sighting was, if anything, one of the least strange parts of this story. And the author, uh, Charles Bowen, who was writing for Flying Saucer Review, reported that the police were finding nothing but dead ends in their investigation of the deaths of the two men, now identified as Miguel Jose Viana and Manuel Pereira de Cruz. There had been a report of a significant explosion in June 1966, rumors of some kind of experiments going on at a beach in Atafona, 
Miguel and Manuel had been seen at the beach at some point. So was there a connection between the explosion, the experiments, and the men's strange deaths? More reports were coming in to the Flying Saucer Review offices, with some claiming that the investigation was being stifled by officials. Of course. Bowen speculated that that limits placed on the investigation might be due to the UFO angle, but acknowledges that it's probably impossible to know for sure. I don't know. Maybe if there was official stifling of the reports, it was because of the explosions and experiments of whatever nature going on in the area. I don't know. Maybe the UFO was a side effect. Maybe the UFO was the experiment. Who knows? Flying saucers aside, everything gets weirder. The two men left the city of Campos, their, their home, telling people they were headed to Sao Paulo to buy a car and some unspecified electronic equipment. When they got to the town of Nitoral, they each bought identical raincoats and a bottle of mineral water. And when their bodies were discovered, they were wearing the identical raincoats and the lead masks were on the ground next to the bodies. Bowen reiterates the contents of the note found in the bodies, take the pills at this time with orange juice, etc., and revealed that the handwriting of the note did not belong to either of the two men. The men's pockets were full of money, hundreds of dollars, uh, well, hundreds of, actually hundreds of thousands of Brazilian currency, translating to hundreds of dollars. There are no signs of violence, no signs of burning, no sign of poison, no sign of anything that would have caused heart failure, for example. As newspapers speculated on whatever was in the capsules that had killed them, or if they were involved in espionage or su- uh, smuggling, the UFO angle entered the story. The Jornal do Brasil and other newspapers of August 25th startled everyone with the story of Senora Garcianda Barbosa Catinho de Souza, a society lady, social distinctions are very marked in Brazil, who stated that she had seen an unusual object flying over the Moro de Vintem on the evening of August 17th. In the journal, Senora de Souza was described as a sensible, well-balanced lady, entirely reliable in Fonseca, where she lives. Her story was that she was driving along with three of her children when they saw an oval-shaped object of an orange color with a band of fire around its edges. The object was sending out rays in all directions and was hanging over the top of the hill. She stopped the car and, with her children, watched the object as it rose and fell vertically for some three or four minutes. When she returned home, Senora de Souza told her husband about the sighting, and he straight away drove down to the observation point but saw nothing. A few days later, when the story broke about the discovery of the bodies on the hill, Senor de Souza took steps to keep the news of the tragedy from his wife, and then went to inform the police. The journal stated that certain other details not quoted in their report were given to the police by Senora de Souza when she was interviewed. These, it was added, were being kept secret by order of the chief of police. The news that someone so prominent as Senora de Souza had taken the plunge promoted several other people to telephone the police with confirmation of her sighting. Their reason for not coming forward earlier, it was stated, was that they thought the object was a flying saucer, and they preferred to keep quiet about that. Whether or not the UFO was connected to the deaths, this passage affirms that the stigma of being a UFO witness, at least a UFO witness that was willing to report their experiences to authorities, was in place in Brazil as much as it was in the United States. Bowen, in his article, reported that the news of a previous lead mask case from 1962 had surfaced, but that, as of yet, the lead mask itself was the only connection between the two things. But things got stranger. 
someone who claimed to be a professor of yoga speculated that the men may have been experimenting with substances of some kind, given the mention of the capsules that was in the newspaper report. The men may have been trying to carry out a telepathic experiment with high-frequency thought waves. He explained that in experiments of these kinds, alkaloids such as LSD-25 or mescaline are taken to step up mental alertness and the frequency of the brain, whatever that may mean. The frequency of the brain. Go to your doctor, ask for something to increase the frequency of your brain. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy the results. So, some rudimentary science. LSD-25 was the laboratory acronym or name for ergotamine. Ergotamine, there we go. A chemical from the ergot fungus first made in Switzerland by Albert Hoffman back in the 1930s. A lot of you probably knew that LSD was the subject of a lot of investigation by the CIA during the 1950s, and it was part of a wider program known as MKUltra, which was dedicated to various approaches to mind control. This isn't a conspiracy show, except, you know, when it is, but the dead bodies, the lead masks, the UFO, and then a yoga professor mentioning LSD, that's weird. That's weird. So for some context on this, let's look at a 1955 report from the CIA, uh, specifically the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence, about what they refer to as the strategic medical significance of LSD. Problem. To determine the strategic medical significance of LSD through a review and evaluation of the biochemical and pharmacological research on this psychogenic drug. Conclusions. LSD-25 is the most potent psychochemical agent available at the present time. Trace quantities of LSD-25 create serious mental confusion of the manic and schizophrenic types and render the mind temporarily susceptible to suggestion. Two, but there are, as yet, insufficient data to confirm or deny its usefulness for eliciting true and accurate statements from subjects under its influence. Three, because LSD-25 is colorless, odorless, and tasteless, it could possibly be used clandestinely for the contamination of food and water, although the data on its stability and solution are conflicting. 4. Since the effect of this drug is temporary in contrast to the fatal nerve agents, there are important strategic advantages for its use in certain operations. 5. Although no definite conclusions can be drawn as to the diagnostic and therapeutic value of LSD-25, it does appear to have the potential of being a valuable adjunct in the treatment of certain mental diseases. 6. Of the other known psychogenic drugs, mescaline produces reactions that are the most similar to those of LSD-25. 7. Sufficiently detailed descriptions of the methods of preparation of both lysergic acid and LSD-25 are available in the open literature and may make possible production by an interested country. Further, the method of preparation does not appear to be extremely complex. 8. Although no Soviet data are available on LSD-25, it must be assumed that the scientists of the USSR are thoroughly cognizant of the strategic importance of this powerful drug and are capable of producing it at any time. So, while the bulk of the report, the rest of it, uh, details scientific analyses of LSD, uh, 
as I'm was listening to that again, as, as I'm working on putting this together, all I can sort of think of is the revelation, I guess, revelation, that even in 1955, the CIA was very clear that instructions on how to make LSD was available on the open market, and it wasn't that difficult, and that other countries might be involved, or be involved in, in doing their own sort of experimentation. What about other people in places that weren't governments involved in experimentation? That's an interesting question. And again, they took some capsules, they end up dead. A yoga professor mentions LSD and in, you know, the 60s, the mid-60s, when you know, it, it was it was out there. People knew about it, but did people know about it a lot? I'm not sure. Um, by '66, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe everybody was increasing their brain frequency. Anyway, um, we do know from other declassified documents that there was a lot of eagerness uh, with which scientists at universities in the U.S. and Canada uh, sought to experiment with LSD and other potential mind control tools. And experimentation was not limited to laboratories. And we should probably, I, I mean, probably acknowledge that experimentation might not have been limited to the United States and Canada. There's always Brazil. So there's a, there's a report from March of 1954, which details the effects of LSD on subjects with dosages outcomes graded from zero to four. The purpose of this experiment was to determine if a subject uh, built up any sort of measurable resistance to LSD over time. Grade zero, absence of nervousness and apprehension. Grade one, nervousness and apprehension without distortion in shape or size of self, other persons, or inanimate objects. Grade two, nervousness and apprehension plus distortion in shape or size of self, other persons, or inanimate objects, but without hallucinations and with retention of insight. Grade three, nervousness, apprehension, distortions, and elementary hallucinations. True hallucinations may be present, but insight apparently retained. Grade four, same as grade three, but true hallucinations present and insight lost. Grade four is apparently quite rare in my experience. So who were these subjects? They were patients at the National Institutes of Mental Health Addiction Research Center in Lexington, Kentucky, which opened in 1935. This, the, The facility was established for, quoting the NIH website, quote, for the confinement and treatment of persons addicted to the use of habit-forming narcotic drugs, end quote. No mention is made on this website of the use of patients as guinea pigs for psychotropic substances. So were the two men in the lead masks part of a clandestine experiment? What was in the capsules? What's going on? Bowen was able to give no conclusion in his article, other than an observation that, in his opinion, two things were certain. The first is that in Brazil there is a tremendous interest in spiritualism, that a great amount of spiritualistic healing takes place, and that amazing operations for the painless removal of diseased tissue and cancerous tumors are regularly performed by gifted mediums. It would seem that Brazil is a country where the paranormal is rapidly supplanting the normal. The second fact is that Brazil has far more than its fair share of UFO cases. 
it remains to be seen whether or not there is any connection between these two facts. That doesn't actually explain any of this. It's an interesting connection between psychic ability and spiritualism and, and things like that, and UFOs, if there is a connection between those things. But what does that have to do with the two dead guys and the capsule and the weird note and the orange juice and the lead masks and the matching raincoats and the pockets full of money? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think that Bowen, in this case, was was really hard-pressed to, to come up with anything. So he makes some general conclusions about weird stuff in Brazil and sort of calls it a day. Now, Flying Saucer Review revisited the story in 1971 in their July-August edition. Uh, this article was written by Gordon Creighton, and in it he claims that the most popular explanation of the event was that the two men had been killed by, in his words, UFO entities, a view that was, in his words, reinforced by Senhora de Souza's UFO sighting. I'm not sure how. Um, somebody saw a UFO in the sky. Two men are dead. There must be a connection. Why is there a connection? Well, you know, she saw something. In fact, this is one of those cases, I think, where the UFO seems almost surplus to requirements. We don't need it. This is a weird enough case without the flying saucer. But let's let's keep going, though, and see if, uh, if Gordon Creighton here can make anything out of this. Creighton reported that in 1969, years after the event, a thorough explanation was finally forthcoming uh, from the authorities. And Creighton reprinted the story from the February 23rd, 1969 edition of the Correo de Povo, a newspaper in Porto Alegre, Brazil. On February 22nd, according to this article, the murder of the two electronics technicians um, that had happened three years before in the Moro de Vintem was solved. It was solved. Um, the lead masks, the article said, um, were the hallmark of this case, and those apparently came from another planet. Uh, no evidence for that presented, but the whole thing is down to an underworld figure named Hamilton Benzani, also in the article called Hamilton Bezani. I'm not sure which is correct, um, whether it's a typo or uh, whether well whether it's a typo on the part of the original newspaper or a typo on the part of Flying Saucer Review. But Hamilton Benzani was, quote, a notorious criminal, smuggler, and car thief. He was serving out a 50-year prison sentence. And a woman he's related to, um, who's from Rio, told police that he was connected to the murders and that they should go question him. So they go question him, and he admits to it. He says he was approached by three other criminals, um, all with fake names, who said they could score some money. And so they go to Niteroi, where they first meet the two guys who are going to end up killed. And they go to a spiritualist center, and they have a seance run by a woman named Helena. And after the seance, the criminals, Helena, the seance operator, and uh, Miguel and Manuel, the two, uh, two soon-to-be murder victims, you know, head out of town, and, uh, and they're poisoned. And, uh, and he admitted to poisoning them and taking a briefcase full of money. And that was the story. And uh, they, you know, they, they caught uh, ben, ben, Benzani um, and the other guys got away. And the police said, quote, they are on the track of the group and will have no difficulty in apprehending them 
as they are notorious criminals. So apparently, if you're police, the more notorious a criminal is, the easier they are to catch, which doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense to me, but I'm not a Brazilian cop, so what do I know? So, it was a robbery. A well-planned robbery. A well-planned robbery that, for some reason, involved a seance. A well-planned robbery that involved a guy who was already caught for another crime. A well-planned robbery for which the other suspects would be caught very quickly. The story in the newspaper doesn't even mention the lead masks, nor does it explain why they still had a significant amount of money in their pockets and left over after the briefcase was taken. It doesn't explain if they were poisoned, why there was no trace of the poison or identifiable trace of the poison that turned up in the autopsy, nor does it explain the note telling them to take the capsules at a certain time. This doesn't make sense. Never mind it doesn't mention the UFO, which, come on, that's why we're all here, right? Flying saucers? So this is a weird explanation, and it was also disputed by a Brazilian ufologist who wrote into Creighton and the Flying Saucer Review regarding this matter. As for the lead masks case, we are all pretty certain that the explanation put out by the authorities in February 1969 was faked. It was at that precise time that the big drive against all UFO investigators in Brazil began in earnest. The authorities were doing everything they could to debunk the flying saucers. It would, therefore, have been very unwise indeed for any of us to have looked any further into the Moro de Vintem case just then. Ufologists in Brazil were even being linked with the activities of the terrorists, and consequently, we were all most careful not to attract any attention to ourselves. As you say, the official explanation does smell to high heaven. Flying Saucer Review might, of course, publish the whole story again with full details, adding the official explanation as a footnote, and ending with the words, Case Closed. This might give your readers a chuckle or two. That's right, folks. Government disinformation to discredit Flying Saucer research. It didn't just begin in the 80s, apparently. We still don't know, really, any more than we did before, because, you know, the official explanation is pretty dumb and incomplete. So what do we have? We have two dead men. We have lead masks with no way to see through them. Uh, no eye holes, nothing. They're just sort of more like lead shields. We have instructions to take capsules. We have reports of explosions. We have a flying saucer. It's been mentioned by some that the lead masks could have been to prevent radiation damage, but others, notably, um, I forget the guy's name, but he did the Skeptoid podcast about this episode a while back. Um, he pointed out that radiation masks now and radiation masks in the 60s didn't look anything like what was found next to those men. The pills suggest a radiation-abating drug to me, uh, or poison of some kind, maybe. Uh, the professor of yoga who mentioned LSD, that's intriguing and it makes me wonder, speculate, imagine, whatever, if the entire thing wasn't some kind of experiment with mind-altering substances, either sanctioned by a government or not, or an experiment with radiation, or not. You know what? I got nothing. I don't know. This is weird. All I know is the one piece that doesn't really fit and is kind of annoying is the flying saucer. Um, but it's interesting because this is what I got. The flying saucer didn't really matter, as I've suggested already. The most thorough account of this, however, is in Flying Saucer Review. Why? Because there was a flying saucer in the vicinity? 
and it's usually discussed in a UFO context. The UFO phenomenon, the, the, the flying saucer phenomenon, seems insidious, doesn't it? It gets everywhere. As long as there's lights in the sky, the flying saucers will make it about themselves, whether you want them to or not. We get a saucer life against our will sometimes. Next time, remember this. Ufologists in Brazil were even being linked with the activities of the terrorists. What's all that about? We're staying in Brazil for that story because it's pretty interesting. In the meantime, thanks for listening. You can explore the archives at saucerlife.com and you can follow along on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife. The Saucer Life Encounter 602 was written and produced by me, Aaron Gullius, and is a Chizo Media production. You can subscribe to The Saucer Life on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app through the RSS feed on the website. Ratings and reviews on iTunes and other platforms are always appreciated, and we thank those of you who have left them so far. Till next time, keep watching the skies, which you can't do with a lead mask on your face, so take off the lead mask and keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. <laughs>